Awesome. I, I want to uh, continue and conclude our series, Stress Tests. Anybody ever been stressed? This is Stress Test Part 3, and uh, we're going to conclude uh, this series. And I'm um, so good to see everybody. Glad uh, you're coming to get sanctified after whatever you were doing last night. I was on social media, saw some of you out there. You know, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you believe in Halloween or, or what. Um, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm totally joking. We, we went trick-or-treating last night. Some of you guys are going to get really upset about that. Um, I, I just I think it's pretty awesome that as a believer, as a believer, I knew, I knew it was going to get quiet. As, as a believer, when I'm redeemed, everything that I do is redeemed. And I'm going to take back anything that the enemy has tried to make his or take. We're keeping the family we're keeping holidays, we're keeping celebrations, and we're going to make sure that they're sanctified and holy. We're going to do it right, and we're going to do it for the glory of God. Everybody said? It's a test. You almost passed. Stress test part three. Some of you just got stressed because I mentioned October 31st. Stress test part three. Philippians chapter four, verse 11. It says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Has anybody got this memorized yet? I, I, I can do all this. What? What can I do? I can be content in any and every situation. In fact, Paul, who's writing this letter from prison, he is in chains, and he writes the letter to the church at Philippi, and he says, guys, I have figured it out. I have learned the secret to being content. Did did you know you have to learn how to be content? That in fact, Hebrews tells us that you actually have to learn how to be godly. It's just that you have to train yourself how to be God. You thought it was just natural. You have to actually work at, train yourself how to do right. You have to train yourself to be godly. Years ago, I had a shoulder injury, and I wasn't going to the doctor. I was thinking it's just going to get better, you know, how we do. And so it's just going to get better, and I just had to compensate for the injury. So I just had to, you know, not do certain movements, and finally, they it broke me down. And so I went to the physical therapist, and we began to talk, and, and uh, they said, you, ha- you, are, you are hurting your range of motion because now you've learned to compensate around the, in- the injury. You have now learned to operate the wrong way. He said, it's not going to be fun, but we have to teach your muscles, and we have to teach your shoulder how to operate the right We have to teach it how to operate the right way. So now we have to unlearn the wrong pattern And we have to learn the right pattern. Paul is saying this. I have learned. You know, for most of us, we have to unlearn the wrong pattern so that we can learn the right pattern. So I have to unlearn discontentment so that I can learn contentment. I want to ask you a question. How many people do you know in your life that are content? Man, that's disappointing, isn't it? Everyone's like, man, I, I, don't, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I know one. Paul said, I've learned the secret. Doesn't that sound nice, though? I've learned the secret of being content. Doesn't that sound nice to have contentedness in your heart? 
He, we, we have been working through Philippians chapter 4 and reverse engineering this chapter. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, a couple verses before this passage, it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always, says Paul from prison. I will say it again. Rejoice for all of us who are saying, well, he doesn't know about my situation. He's in jail. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. We learned about a Greek word here. A word that means let our maturity, our patience, our forbearance, or our justice, God's justice, when it runs out, when we feel like things aren't fair, God's mercy intervenes so that we're patient with the process. And the Lord is near. God's with us in the midst of our battle, the midst of our struggle. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that sounds good, doesn't it? The entire goal of this series has been a destination, a destination that we're calling peace that transcends all understanding and a contentment in any circumstance. Paul did not write from the rich place of his life. He wrote from the place of need in his life, and he said, I've learned the secret to be content. I believe that there would be a change in our families, in our culture, and in our nation if people of God learned the same secret that Paul had, that we would not chase after things we don't have to chase after, that we would not compare with people that we don't have to compare to, but we would learn the secret of being content, and we would learn how to have a peace that transcends all understanding. I would say this week in our nation, there is not a lot of peace. There's not a lot of peace no matter where you stand, no matter what you believe, no matter what you're hoping for, not too many people are at peace. And I want to propose this to you. If you are not at peace, you are not living in the peace that God has, in the blessing that God has provided. Because if we live in the blessing that God has provided, we will live in perfect peace. So whenever I do not have peace, I am out of alignment. Now, there's going to be times when I don't have peace. There are going to be moments that I feel or experience anxiety. There are going to be moments where I am stressed out. Moments where I am stressed out. Did you know that a lot of our stress is determined by our intake? What we consume determines a level of stress in our minds, our bodies, and our hearts. And when we talk about stress, when we take, talk about anxiety, I've said it every week, is that there's the practical side and there's the spiritual side. And we believe, and we've got great counselors and, 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 and great therapists that help people walk through anxiety and walk through stress and walk through trauma. I'm talking about the spiritual side. I'm talking about the side of anxiety that Paul is talking about as he writes to the church at Philippi. And, and he says that there is this perfect peace that's available. This contentment that is real. But that contentment is based oftentimes on what we're consuming. So I just want to ask you a question. How, how, how much negativity are you consuming? How, 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 what does what your, your diet look like in regards to social media? How, how much positive to how much negative? 
I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that you have to adjust, that you have to monitor. Because to say that what you're intaking, that you're taking in, is not affecting you is to be naive. But everything that you consume, it shapes your philosophy, it shapes your thinking, it affects your hope, it affects your faith, it affects your peace. So it would be remiss of us to say, I want to have peace, but I consume negativity. I have zero margin in any area of my life, and I'm shouting at God, wondering why he hasn't given me peace. Our practical lives must be spiritual, and our spiritual lives have to be practical. I was talking to multiple people this week that are dealing, out of this series, dealing with stress. Dealing with anxiety. And they're asking the question, I don't understand what I need to do. And I got this and I got this and I got this. And you know what I'm I'm finding is about 60%, maybe even 70% of our stress is self-induced. I'm not trying to make anyone feel condemned or guilty. But there are some things that you can solve for yourself by logging out. It happened for me months ago. I, was, I took a break this summer from, from social media and, and, and just totally defragged. Like, I'm just taking a break from it. And I'm like, man, life is so good. I just felt light. I'm like, look at, man, this is incredible. Life is so good. And as long as I didn't know about this, I was feeling amazing. But as soon as I let that back into here, the turmoil began. And I realized something, that some of that is controllable. That some of my stress, well, I have to know. I gotta know what's being, I gotta know what's going on. I got, I'm not saying not to be informed. I'm saying when it begins to rob you of peace, nothing is more valuable than your peace. So if you can't see it and have peace, don't see it. If you can't listen to it and have peace, Don't listen to it. Begin to set boundaries in your life with your friends, with your relationships, with people that are speaking into you to say that we, this is a positive zone. People told me a long time ago, they're like, Pastor Dustin, this is a a pastor I was was counseling, he said, said, Pastor Dustin, he said, people in my church are saying that I only have yes men around me. I'm like, really? He's like, what what does that mean? He goes, well, the people that are around me are very encouraging. I said, what kind of people do they want around you? No men? Like, that doesn't sound very fun to me. Like, that doesn't sound... He wasn't talking about accountability or authority. They just wanted someone to just take them down a couple notches. I'm going to tell you, you better put some boundaries up in your life to say, I need people to build me up. I need people to encourage me to walk in my God-given destiny and my God-given calling. If you haven't lived long enough to know this yet, there are plenty of people who will pull you down, knock you down, and not believe in you. What we need is the people of God to surround others and say, we believe in you. We believe in the grace of God on your life. We believe in the call of God on your life. You can do this. We believe in the word of God that's coming through. We believe in you. You need some positivity. Well, I, I just, you know, I don't know about all that faith stuff. You know the opposite of faith? Doubt. I don't know about all that doubt stuff. 
I want to be around some faith people. I want to be around some people that see the glass half full. I want to be around some people that believe that the nation is on the verge of the greatest move of God and not just destruction. I want to believe that God is bigger than any elected official. I want to believe that God is bigger than any satanic strategy. I want to believe that God is bigger than all of the things that we're cowering in fear over. We believe in a God that's big, that's powerful, and I need people around me that say, yes, I believe in that not just because we say it but that's the bible that we read that's the god we learn about that's the god we read about not a god that's threatened not a god that cowers not a god that's intimidated a god that has a plan a god that's powerful a god that's loving a god that gives grace when we run out a god that shows kindness when we can't muster it up A God that reaches beyond our human reach. A God that gives when we have nothing to give. A God that makes up the gap when we have come to the end of ourselves. That's our God. And when we're talking about our peace, we have to consider what we're taking in. Our intake. It said in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And I always wish there was an asterisk on the end of anything. And then you can read down at the bottom of a page, unless you go through a global pandemic. Right? But there's no exceptions and Paul's in prison. So he leaves us no excuse. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, or another translation says, but in every, but pray, but pray in everything. Do you know what? It's impossible not to have moments of anxiety, but I want, to, I want to propose this to you. There's a difference between a moment of anxiety and a state of anxiety. It is not a lack of spirituality to encounter high stress or even moments of intense anxiety. But God's plan for you is to not to live in a state. A, con- a, a moment of anxiety is a warning to you that something is off, that there is not margin. But if you're living in a state of anxiety. God wants to bring freedom to your heart and move you out of that place. You need to be careful what you claim is yours. I've heard people talk like this. Well, I'm just an anxious person. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And you might just be anxious because you've always called yourself anxious. You know, I I experience anxiety, but I am not an anxious person. I experience fear, but I am not a fearful person. Do you see that difference in that confession? It is declaring in faith, I may be frail at times, I may be human at times, I might have feelings that I have to walk through, but I refuse to let those feelings dictate and prophesy over me for the rest of my life. So I experience anxiety, but I am not anxious. I experience fear, but I am not fearful. I experience these things, but they do not control me. They do not control me. What is not peace should be foreign to us. I was praying this week and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and and, and really said this, that peace is foreign to us. But what really should be foreign is the lack of peace. That for the believer, that peace should be what we experience every day. We should know it. We should understand his peace. And when we feel out of peace, that should be the alarm. But you know what? For most believers, it is a rare exception when they actually feel peace. But for the believer, it should be the exception when we are not 
at peace. It's interesting that this scripture, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but pray. I don't know about you, but I've had some problems with that scripture over the years because I was telling our staff this this week, when you feel anxious, you don't feel like praying. Anybody that's experienced anxiety know this. If you've ever been really stressed out, when you're at the pinnacle of stress, you're not thinking like, all right, let's just pray about it. That's like, you, you know you should, but you just, am I alone? I just, like, you, you know you should pray, but it's like, I'm too stressed out even to, to pray. I'm too anxious even to pray. But yet, the scripture says, do not be anxious about anything, but pray, but pray. You know, the, the other day I was in my car and, and I, I tried to start it and it wouldn't start. I'm thinking, man, what, what is wrong? What, what, what's happening to my battery? Or, and I'm going through the mental checklist. And you know what? I, I didn't have it in park. <laughs> and if the car is not in park, the engine will not engage. Did you know that prayer is what engages the power of God in your life? So you can sit there in a state of anxiety. I'll just speak to myself. I can sit there in a state of anxiety, and I don't feel like praying. I really don't. I, I don't feel like, man, I think this would be an awesome time to just magnify the Lord. I'm thinking, why am I going through this? This is unfair. This doesn't seem right. I don't feel like praying. But if I don't pray, I cannot initiate the power of God. Prayer is more than what you think it is. Prayer is not just a beggar that is begging at the feet of Jesus for him to do something in your life. Prayer is a pursuit Prayer is a pursuit of a person. Prayer is a following after him. Prayer is a drawing close to him. Prayer is a desire that burns in you. Not to say something, but to be with someone. The church has relegated prayer to a list that we pray every morning. And it's more than that. It's not request. It's relationship. Prayer is an access to relationship. If a thing is great enough to threaten to make me anxious, it is great enough for me to talk to God about it. How do I consider if I should pray about something? If it's big enough to make me anxious, then it's big enough for me to talk to God about it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, it's a key little couple words there that we miss quite often. According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have asked of him. Another translation says, we know we have received. I want to ask you a question. Have you received it if you haven't received it? Faith says... I don't see it yet, but I've planted the seed of faith, and I believe the harvest will come. It is not a blind faith of just like, we said it, and somehow it's going to happen. No, it is a seed of confidence that says now we believe that we have received it, and we will live that way, walk that way, talk that way, until it comes into our reality. Prayer pulls what is outside of the natural into the natural, and oftentimes it takes time. But when the scripture says, do not be anxious about anything, pray about everything, I want to tell you what prayer is. Because prayer 
is, is, is so broad and oftentimes intimidating to the believer, but prayer is our language to God. It is our conversation to God. Let me, let me tell you a couple of things. Prayer. prayer places our trust in God. When I pray, I say I trust. When I pray, I'm saying, God, I trust you with this. What if I'm whining? It still says I trust. Do you know when my son comes to me and he asks me politely for something? And, you know, whatever, for whatever it is, he asks me politely, it's great. When he comes and whines to me, it's great. When he comes and cries to me, I like him differently, but I respond to all of them because he's my son. A, a beggar mentality says I have to be right, I have to have done right for God to hear me. A son mentality, a daughter mentality says I'm his so I can ask with confidence. If you don't have your identity right, you will never understand how much God has for you. You have to understand that when you come to God, you come confidently. When you come to God, he looks at you with favor. When you come to God, he looks at you with a heart of love and compassion. And when you whine, or when you cry, or when you ask politely, he hears you. Prayer, it places our trust in God. So the victorious antagonist of anxiety is trust. And the only way to turn gnawing care out of my heart and life is to usher God into it and to keep him resolutely in it. Prayer is my pursuit. This is what I want you to get in your mind. is not I said a prayer, but I pursued him. I, I, I want you to just get out our cultural understanding of prayer and understand when I'm praying, I am pursuing. I am trying to get close to Jesus. James says, when I draw near to him, he will draw near to me. Did you know that if with our understanding of praying, we can stay at a distance from God and pray politically correct prayers? But what I'm proposing to you, if you want to go towards contentment and towards peace, is to let your prayer actually be a place of pursuit. Prayer has the power to do the impossible. Prayer has the power to do the impossible. I don't know if you know this or not. Prayer has the power to do the impossible. Maybe I just need to say it a couple times before we really get it. Prayer has the power to do the impossible. Prosper, can you hear me? Prayer has the power to do the impossible. Did you know if we really believe that, we would pray more? If I knew and believed that when I prayed, God would do the impossible, I would be praying all the time. When I was anxious, if I really believed that if I prayed that God would begin to bring peace, I would pray. But for most of us, it is not the, the, the lack of desire to pray or even the lack of understanding of prayer. It is the lack of trust in the God we pray to. He's bigger than us. His thoughts are higher than ours. We don't understand his ways. Just like I don't let my boys drive the car and it's love. It's the same reason God doesn't do some things for us that we ask. And he does do other things that we haven't asked for. It's, it's in his love and in his foresight and in his provision for us that he works. But prayer has the power to do the impossible. Prayer is more simple than we make it and more powerful than we think. Well, I don't know if I'm in the right spot to really pray. No, you're in the right spot. Whatever spot you're in is the right spot to pray. 
There is not a place in the scripture that you can see God turning a deaf ear to a repentant heart or to a sincere prayer. There is not a time where God says, no, you are too wicked. I'm not going to let you. You cannot find it. You cannot find God. You cannot find in the life of Jesus him turning away from people with real desperation. Or I could say it this way, real pursuit. The woman with the issue of blood made her way through the crowd pursuing Jesus. See, it changes something in your mind when you think about prayer and pursuit. When I think about prayer, I think about my list. And Uncle Johnny and Aunt Susan and Dog Spot. And when I think about pursuit, now it changes to, Lord, I want you. Lord, I desire you. Give me your heart. Give me your mind. Let, me, let my heart breaks with what breaks yours. Let me see what you see. Let me love people the way that you love. Let me care for people the way that you care. Lord, I want more of you. Lord, we lift you up. We magnify. Do you see what changed? If I just pray with the wrong understanding, I just say things. But when I pray, and the key to my prayers being answered is me praying according to his will. So when you change pray, pray to pursuit, you get close to God, you get his heart, you begin to pray his will, and your prayers begin to be answered. Because it's not us on the outside just throwing up Hail Marys to God. It is us getting close to him, understanding his heart, and beginning to pray what is on his heart according to his will. According to his will. Prayer invites God into our situation. Prayer invites him. So when you're anxious or stressed out and you pray, do you know what that is to God? It is an invitation for him to come into your problem. Well, when I pray, does my stress immediately go away? I wish. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? We'd all be praying at that point. Stress, Lord, gone. Anxious, Jehovah, gone. All the names. It's, it's not that, is it? I mean, I, it's, it, it preaches good, but it lives differently. That when I feel stressed, oftentimes I'll pray, but the stress is still there. So what I'm doing is I'm inviting God into that situation. We've already illustrated it. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, is, is that we rejoice right? We yield. This is the train towards peace and contentment. We rejoice. We yield. We know God is with us, and we pray. We pray. We pray. The prayer is the invitation of God into our problem. We read last week, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. You don't want to walk through this life without God. You don't want to walk through this life without his presence. You don't want to walk through this life without his power. A prayer invites him in. How do I pray? You talk to him. I, I, I just like to, I like to think of it like a friend. I like to think of him like a drive through window. Because sometimes this helps me. Because at a drive through window, I would never go give them money, drive away without making an order. I, I, wanna, I, I don't want to see God as a drive-through, but I want to understand that there is an expectation in coming to God that if I come to God, I receive something from Him. I don't want to just come check the box. I want to come and receive. I want relationship. I want something that's real. Our nation needs something that's real, a real relationship, a real faith, a real love, a real hope, a real peace, a real 
contentment. Peace invites God into our situation. Peace is the product of a trust in God. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because, why? Because he trusts you. How do you know that you trust God if you pray? You know, you can really tell who someone trusts by who they reach out to in trouble. Oh, man, I'm a strong believer. I'm a Christian. Man, I'm a man of faith. And then trouble hits. Mom. Okay, you trust your mom. Right? Doctor diagnosis. Can you believe this? Can you? But for those that trust God, the first act of defense is God. Well, what's the prayer? What do I pray? What do I say? Sometimes you don't know what to say. So you know when I don't know what to say, I worship. When I don't know what to say, I turn my heart to worship because I'm, I'm, I'm blending the words prayer and pursuit. So instead of me thinking, no, right now is a prayer time, I'm just thinking I just got to get close to Jesus. Because if I get close to him, whose mind is stay, if I get my mind on him, perfect peace will be mine. And it says this, it says, this perfect peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I want you to see this. This is, this is crazy. This word guard, it means to protect by a military guard. Either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from, from a fight. Your peace sets up an outpost on your heart and your mind. When we pray, peace comes. And it sets up a guard against the way that you think and what you feel. Your, God's perfect peace is the soldier outside your heart that says, no, not here. There can be waves outside the boat. It's all good. It's only trouble when waves get inside the boat. Then you're in trouble. So the peace of God says the storm can stay on the outside. But in this heart and in this mind, there is peace. How do I get that peace? By trusting him, by praying, by pursuing, by seeking. Will it all go away in an instant? No, but it begins to move you towards peace, towards contentment. I wanted to illustrate this for you real quick as we close. So I got a couple of people. So come on up. Um, I think they already talked to you. Come on up. I, 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 want, I want you to see it. I've kind of been into the visual thing lately. So I was going to pull the chairs up, but I'm just going to use people right now. So John, just, just start like right here. And then you guys just come, just get in line. All right? Just turn that way, John. And then Val, you turn that way. And Jesse, you turn that way. Yep, exactly. All right. We've been talking about this process. All right? This, this, this process towards peace and towards contentment. John, just take one more step and then turn around this way. Let's just say, let's just say, John, you're a good-looking man. He represents peace and contentment. And this is the journey of your life. All right? We are good at applying pieces. But everything in the Word clicks together in unity so that it moves So if we're trying to get to a place of contentment in every circumstance and a peace that transcends all understanding that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, we have to, and this is what we learned, we have to rejoice 
This is what the first, in, in Philippians 4.4, 4, it says rejoice, in the, you rejoice. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoicing is what moves the engine of your life towards peace. Then we talked about that your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, right? We, we, we learned that God is, actually I think before that, we learned about yielding about surrendering, giving control, because a lot of stress is things we can't control. So in order to move this train, I yield. I yield. This, this, so this represents rejoicing, just represents yielding. Yielding follows in line with my rejoicing. When I rejoice and I praise God, my, my surrender will just follow right behind it. When my surrender has a mind of its own, it derails me. Whenever I try to control something that I shouldn't control, it, it derails me in my journey towards peace and contentment. And then Pastor Keon, he represents knowing. Knowing God is near. God's not, look, look, at, where, look, at, where, look at where knowing God is. God's not with peace and contentment. God's with you in the journey. See, some of you think, well, once I get it right, then I'll get to God. No, no. God's with you on the journey. He's with you in the pain. He's with you in the crisis. He's with you in the difficulty. He's with you in the relationship drama. He's, he's with you in that. He, he's there. And then Hannah represents what we're talking about today. Praying. Prayer pushes your life towards your destination. It engages the power of God. And this begins to move together. I rejoice, I surrender, I know, and I, I pray. I rejoice, I surrender, I yield, I yield, I know, and I pray. And this train of my life begins to move. I know what you want. You want the magic word that just shows up and just, I was going to jump into his arms. But I'm there at peace. It's, it's not like that. It begins the journey. So don't get mad after two days when you don't have perfect peace. Don't get mad after a month when you're not the peaceful person, pe the most peaceful person you've ever met. I want you to remember that your life is moving in the direction and that you're going to continue to rejoice and continue to surrender and continue to know and to continue to pray until you are at a place of peace and contentment. Does that make sense? You guys can sit down. It's awesome. Peace and contentment. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new. What does it say? Every morning, I want to close with this thought. If you're worrying about tomorrow, you are outside of the grace of God. I'm going to show it to you. Matthew 6, verse 34 in the message. It says, give your entire attention to what God is doing when? Right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow or Tuesday. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes, when does God give us new mercy? Every morning. God spoke to the children of Israel and he said, I want you to pick up manna every morning. How much do you pick up? Enough for the day. 
when I try to fix tomorrow, I am bypassing the grace of God for today. God will give you what you need for your day. I'm not saying not to plan. I'm not saying not to strategize. I am saying this, that I cannot be so concerned with tomorrow that I step out of the grace and the power of God for my today. God's given me a new mercy today. God's given me grace today. God's given me sustenance today. And I've got to live in that. I've got to thrive in that. I've got to be at peace in that. And I know when I wake up tomorrow, no matter what tomorrow brings... His mercies are new every single morning.